so today I have an amazing conversation with Kirk DeSoto, better known as the crypto therapist within the NFT music circles. We're going to discuss the evolution of the music industry and where NFTs fit into it. Also, we're going to dive into his journey within crypto since buying ETH at a whopping $10. And of course, we're going to get into his music and his current drop, which is on Token Tracks, which has some of the most ridiculous utility I've ever seen in a project. Hello, I'm Taj, digitally known as Tropic Vibes, the host of Nifty Business, where we highlight NFTs and explore Web 3.0 as we move from pure speculation to creating real-world value. So as I'm about to dive into this conversation, I just want to make a couple announcements. Number one, the Nifty Business Week newsletter has relaunched. You can sign up for that absolutely free at niftybusinessweek.com. And number two, I want to give you a little warning that in certain areas, the audio does get a little choppy. Normally, I give this caveat to everyone before I do the interview that I'm in Jamaica and anything can happen as far as losing the internet, losing the power or anything of that nature. And guess what happened? A transformer blew up down the road and I ended up losing the conversation probably halfway through in the middle. So I had to record the second half of the interview with Kirk a few hours later, once the power and everything was restored in the area and I was able to get back up. And at that time, he had actually left the location where he was recording and it wasn't as quiet. However, the information was incredibly interesting. So I included all of that in there, even though some areas had a little bit of background noise. So in order to fix that, I ended up using this noise removal software that kind of made the track sound a little bit funky. But depending on certain areas, you're going to hear some of Kirk's words actually chop off a little bit towards the end. I tried everything to absolutely save that. But again, great information, great conversation. And I just want to get that out to you. So let's get to that right now. Thank you for coming on. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. So the first time I actually found out about you was through that Shirley Lowe song. I've spoken about that on the show before because I thought it was one of the funniest things that I've seen since I came into Web3. So I just want to say thank you for that before I even get into all of the conversations about your music and how you came into Web3. Thank you. Yeah, it's yeah, it's definitely a funny story. It's kind of, I guess, somewhere in the middle of the timeline. But I entered the Web3 space as a musician back in around August timeframe of 2022. And I hadn't been doing music for many years. I got fed up with Web1 when I was doing that. So I hadn't really written any music or anything for many years. And then Web3 kind of brought me back into music. I'm like, okay, I got to get back to writing. So I decided to write a new song and I'm like, okay, what can I write about? And I thought just being in the space, right? You want to give some kind of a tribute to web three, but I'm like, a lot of people have written about songs about metaverse and all these other things. So I'm like, I don't want to just do the same old thing. So for people that might not know, there's this account on Twitter who always pops up in all these big spaces, it used to come into a lot of the bigger music spaces back in the day. And just account called Shirley Lowe. She would just sit there and listen, never come up to speak. Everyone's just saying, is she real? Is she a bot? She just a data mining service. What's going on? Nobody really knew. But then you'd hear stories like people would say, oh, no, I knew somebody that had actually spoken to her. And she used to come up in spaces and all this stuff. But it's always three or four degrees of separation. I was never like, yes, I directly spoke to her. So it became like this alien or Bigfoot or whatever thing. These crazy lore, you know, about is she real? Is she not? So I'm like, that would, I think would be funny and cool to write a song about Shirley Lowe. So yeah, I wrote a song 
called Shirley Lowe and put it out as basically an airdrop to my original holders and then made a few extra copies, list them for sale on OpenSea just so more people could have access and stuff if they wanted it. The song is, it's funny, it's goofy, but it's kind of like a love song about this guy is on Twitter and he falls in love with this PFP that he sees all the time in every space he's in. And then, and then people are telling him, oh, she's real. And other people say, oh no, she's a bot. So he's torn by the whole thing, but still has this love for her or whatever. It's funny. It's part of the culture and it's really cool. And a little kind of side note with that. And this was like my first real introduction with Chantel Lane for people who don't know. She's also massively famous in web two is now in web three. I did a interview basically a year ago with this guy from NFT Alk Radio, Lope, and he interviews a ton of people in the space and all that. And so he did an interview uh, sometime later with Chantel, but I had to leave early to go to another space. So I'm like, I'll just go back and listen to it later because I really want to hear what she had to say. And uh, I'm getting like DMs and texts and all this stuff. Oh man, she's shouting you out. I'm like, what? So I had to go back and listen to the space afterwards. And yeah, I can't remember if 100% she knew who I was, but she knew the song. And, and it was like, it's her interview. Like she should be focusing on herself, but like she, which obviously she did, but she shouted me out three different times in her own interview, which I thought was incredible. But it also just goes to show what a, an amazing person she is and how supportive she is of so many people. But yeah, I was like, wow, that's amazing to get recognition for that song from somebody of that caliber is really cool. So yeah, that's the history of there of the Shirley Lowe song. That's awesome. Yeah, it really is a part of the culture because I remember when I first heard the song was they had this whole space and it was called like the Shirley Lowe Hour or whatever it was. And everyone is coming up with all these play on words and they're playing your song probably every 30 seconds. It was just great. And each time I heard it, I just kept laughing and laughing. So it's really appropriate for the culture and everything. But even before you got into that, writing the Shirley Lowe song and uh, getting into Web3, what was it like for you as an artist? I started my music career in Web1, what it's now called. I left music around the time that streaming really started actually becoming a thing and Spotify started becoming a thing a little bit and people were putting music on YouTube and all that. I just really didn't participate in the vast majority of that, especially Spotify. So I kind of like skipped web two really, and then came back into music in web three, but even grinding in web one, it was rough. You have some wins and you have some successes, but it's just such a vast world. And the industry has always been very geared towards just taking care of a very small handful of artists. So when you're trying to just get your music out there, it's really hard. It's hard now with web two, but it may be even harder than than it is now. And I was living in New York City at the time when I was really pushing my own kind of solo stuff and the vibe and the time frame was just not great for the type of music I was doing. And also, I don't know, it's almost like I've noticed like music scenes will go through phases, probably like everything else, because I grew up north of Seattle like during the grunge era, right? And so I remember how impactful that was, not just on Seattle, but the whole world, like just changed the face of rock and roll for a generation. So I've seen these movements before, and it's almost like if you have that momentum built, 
by a particular scene or a particular movement. That's just the way things go. But then if something changes and it moves on to the next thing and you're not maybe a part of that thing or maybe that thing doesn't represent what you do, then it's just like you just get swept under with the next thing. So it's, it was definitely difficult. Like I said, I did do internship with Sony Music Studios in New York City while I was living out there for some audio engineering stuff I was doing and, you know, made some pretty cool contacts there. One guy was an engineer there, Andy Manganello super nice guy. He brought me in like on his own time, recorded two albums for me. One was a solo album. The other, I brought a band in a few months later, but it was just like, okay, what do you do? Do you give it all to the label and to the the record executives and then hope they're going to do right by you? Or do you try to forge your own path? And out of the gates, I was like, I don't know what I can get from these people. And so I'll just do my own thing. Cause I've always been that independent mindset. So that's the route I took. But like I said, just New York city was unforgiving in that way. And it only got worse year after year, but pretty much most of the clubs you would play out, everything was pay to play. So literally if I wanted to play a show, they would charge me to play there. You got to sell a certain amount of tickets. And then at that point you break even. And then anything beyond that, you can reap whatever's left, but Trying to get consistently people out to these shows is not easy. So yeah, it was wild for sure. Yeah, that's crazy. I actually had no idea that was how it was done, pay to play. And that really takes a musician and turns them into more of a salesperson and a marketing team than actually an artist. And I did not know that how it was. Is that is it still like that? I haven't really even attempted to play in New York City since. If I had to guess, it's probably the same. To be honest, I don't know why they would change. So I could totally understand you're trying to be an artist, trying to be creative, yet you have to worry with all this stuff. And we haven't even gotten into all the nonsense that we know about record labels and everything. I know a lot of people have very polarizing views on streaming and Spotify and what have you. What are your views on Spotify and streaming, not just Spotify in general? Yeah, definitely. It's interesting because I didn't have a strong opinion when I first entered the space. And oddly enough, I didn't even have a Spotify account until I entered this space. And I only did it because I had a crypto.com debit card. I might as well just set it up. They're paying for it anyway. I really never used it before. And like I said, I was out of music around the time it really started becoming a thing and prominence. So I really didn't have experience with it. So when I came into this space, it was a hot topic and still is really. I asked a lot of other people what they think. Most people I've found in this space don't have a super neutral position on it. It's either they like it and they're like, I'm going to use it. I don't care. Or they're like, screw Spotify. I'm never going to use it. They're obviously not the only one. You have Apple music, you have even Amazon, you got other right options for streaming. But so I was neutral in the beginning. And then eventually, like I had enough experiences being in this space, talking to people, really trying to get to the crux of what's the problem here? What's the issue? And I think ultimately, like if people decide they want to use that because they feel like for them, it's an easy way to market themselves, like whatever, right? That's their choice. I'm very much open about people doing what they want to do. But as far as me, not like I had a presence there before and then I went away and then now I'm trying to rebuild it. I'm coming in totally from scratch. So it's like, should I just stick with Web3 or try to like juggle both or whatever? 
I definitely have some mixed feelings about it, but I think overall, it's not a good thing for music. And I'm talking about streaming in general, not just Spotify. But streaming in general, I think the model is completely broken and it just adds to the problem. Because I grew up in a time where it's, okay, you wanted to hear what new music was on, you'd either listen to the radio or maybe you try to tap into a local scene for music or you go to the record store and you go to the record store and you just sit there and flip through albums. Some would have like listening stations. You had to do more work. So if you really loved whatever music, you had to physically go find those bands or it could be like word of mouth. Sure. But point is you had to do work, right? It wasn't as simple as a couple clicks. And I think there's in many ways, a lot more meaning to that, right? Because it means you really want it, right? Anybody can just, okay, open an app and push play and then whatever comes up. But it's a very different thing to like actually go hunting for music and then spend your hard-earned money on that music to own something physical, right? And especially like when CDs were around or whatever, like you could open it up, you take out the booklet, and then of course you get the artwork and you get to know more about the band and who did what. And it was just, it's a very vastly different experience. And what it created was people who truly loved music and people who truly loved to collect. It was a collector space. It goes back to vinyls and even up to CDs, right? Something massively changed when streaming came in because you don't own anything. And when you don't have ownership, there's no personal connection to the thing. And I think that's overall problematic for music and for musicians as well. I think as a model, it's completely broken. I think Web3 is really getting us back to our original root of what it means to be a collector and what it means to be much more engaged with an individual artist and their music. Yeah, I agree with that. And I could totally relate to that. So obviously I'm not a musician, I'm not in the space. So I don't have my opinions based on say the royalties and such, because I don't have to deal with that with streaming. However, you touched a lot of things that I can really relate to. Number one, like the whole discoverability for a lot of my life, I couldn't afford most of the music. So I had a friend that was the biggest music head that I knew, and he would get all the CDs and we would go to his house. We would listen to his music. And that was like a social experience. The community came together at his house because he had a good system, had the music. And a lot of the artists that I knew from the late nineties, early two thousand was through him. And the interesting thing I thought when I was in high school and college, when iTunes popped up and everything, I was like, man, this really ruined albums and like the full story and all those gems that people would find. And now it's all about the singles. Then we get to streaming as you just touched and no one really has that ownership. And it's like, you listen to a song for 30 seconds, you go on to the next one and then you skip through. And I always found, I don't know if this is most people, but I find that I have to listen to an album, I would say on repeat for a week before I get a feel of it. And then I would give an opinion. Someone would ask me like the day of an album came out, like, hey, what do you think of this? And I was like, I don't know yet. And I don't think that really happens within the streaming world. So I totally agree with a lot of what you said. And it's not just from an artist standpoint. I think it really did break down a lot of the experience as a listener. And I am excited for 
collecting in Web3 and this whole quote unquote NFT music. I know it's just the format and not the genre, but the collecting of it and the experience of having spaces and speaking about it. I think it really brings me back to uh, those days, late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah, absolutely. And before even streaming, it was like you had to deal with labels. And if you sign a deal with a label, they're going to tell you what kind of music to make, how it should sound, what kind of things you should sing about. Obviously, it was different, right? Like each deal is a little bit different, but it's still, if they want you to do something and they own you and your music, like they're going to tell you what to do. And you might be like, I don't want to do that. I don't like that. That doesn't represent me. It doesn't matter. Like you signed a deal with them. You gave up your rights and your life to these people in perpetuity most of the time. So that's crazy. But then it's okay. Now you enter streaming and it's, oh, cool. We can be independent again. But what happens now? They build algorithms because once again, Spotify is just like the digital streaming arm of the major labels, they built algorithms to boost whoever the labels want to be boosted. And if you're just like a nobody, good luck. So now you're like, okay, if this is hot, this type of music or this sound, geez, I got to write a song that kind of sounds similar so I can get into this algorithm. So now you, it's like you started out to like a slave to the labels. But then you become a slave to the algorithm. You're still not writing the music that you truly love and believe in, right? It's like you're writing for a label or you're writing for an algorithm. And it's at the end of the day, it's no different. But once again, even if you write for the algorithm, even if you have a little bit of quote unquote success in streaming, you could have millions of views on Spotify. You're not going to get rich from that. So that's not your main source of income at all. And you can point to say, look how many streams I got on Spotify. But what does it actually mean? Have you made millions of dollars? No. Have you connected with a ton of fans? No. It's really cool because the people that I'm seeing doing it and finding the most success, even during this bear market, are the musicians like you mentioned earlier, Violetta, Sammy Ariega, of course. Then we have Spidey Wi-Fi and they are just constantly grinding. It reminds me of the old fashioned way of guys selling CDs out of trunks. The way they're hopping on spaces, they're in everything. And some people might stand on the outside and say, man, it's the same thing. Just the big people getting all the attention. But I can definitely say within Web3, the reason why those people get the most attention it's because they're putting in the work and that's not necessarily rewarded between 2005 up until 2000, say 20 or so like that window wasn't necessarily rewarded for all the things that you said. So it's pretty obvious as to why Web3 would even be attractive to you. So how did you end up getting into that? So I'd read about Bitcoin probably back around 2011 or so. Back then, there was just such little information and I didn't have a clue what mining was. I'm sitting there picturing like, okay, I got to take a pickaxe out to the landfill and see if I can find computer chips. What the hell? Like <laughs> trying to understand some of that terminology early on when it's new and you don't know what it is. It's crazy. So I'm just like, whatever, I'm sure more information will come out later. So a couple of years later, 2013, a friend of mine was like, dude, you should really like get into Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. It's a cool opportunity. I'm like, oh yeah, I've read about that before. Let me look more into it. 
And I think I'd set up an account with an exchange that year in 2013, but I hadn't really done any deep diving into it. So I didn't really know what I was doing with it. So I was like, I don't know, I'll get to this eventually thing. So it was there, but I never really did anything with it then. And then 2016, the same friend contacted me again. And he was like, dude, you got to get in this market. Come on. And by then you had a few more coins. You had Ethereum and Dash and a bunch of other ones. So I just started researching like everything I could get my hands on. Just wanted to really understand the tech and how it worked. I'd probably research a good six months, just everything I could get my hands on. And then finally by like October around there in 2016, I bought a little bit of Bitcoin, not much. And then over a series of a couple months, I bought varying prices, but my average buy-in cost was about $10 per ETH. So I bought my first 100 ETH for 1000 bucks. Looking back, you're like, why didn't I buy more? But hindsight is 2020. But that's what started me. And then, so I, like I said, I've been in crypto and just really actively trading since 2016. And I've learned a lot in that time frame. So that's where I got started in the crypto aspect. I probably had heard about NFTs 2017, 2018, but it just like went in one ear and out the other. And so I didn't really start paying attention until about 2021 is when I first really started delving into that. So then by 2022, I was just rolling through Twitter one day and I came across this guy, Jonathan Mann, who does song a day, he writes and releases a song every single day. And he's been doing it for something crazy, like 15 years. It's like mind blowing, but he sells it for ETH. And I was like, oh, this is interesting, but I still didn't dive too deep in, but I think because I started following him, Violetta Zeroni popped up in my timeline and I was like, oh, this is interesting. Let me check this out. And she posted a video where she was singing a song and I was like, wow, this is really great. She's very talented. She was doing spaces all the time. So I started popping into her group. This is when she was minting Moonshot. So then I just started becoming a big collector. I was just collecting from all these different artists. And in some cases, wailing in, right? Because I still had a bunch of beats left from my original purchase because I never had sold before. Because I'm hanging out every day with all these musicians on Twitter, it was just like, I find myself picking up my guitar again and playing more. And I was like, I don't know, maybe I could maybe get back into music. I don't know. In one of her spaces, I was like, yeah, I used to do music. And they're like, why, really? I'd already been coming regularly for about three months to this point. So they were surprised. I'm like, yeah, no big deal. I don't really do it as much anymore. And they're like, play something. So I was like, okay. So I played something I had recorded a while back and they were very cool about it. They're very receptive about it. I was like, wow, that's really cool. This is definitely more validation than I've had in a really long time. It just inspired me to keep pushing forward. I ended up getting linked up with Nifty Music, who she did her first drops through. And I ended up applying just to more or less see what it was about. And they ended up saying, yeah, we're starting up this kind of academy thing so we can bring more people on. And if you'd like to be a part of it, let us know. So I was like, okay, what the heck? So I agreed and started up the classes. And then after I had sent the money and it was official, this thing just hit me like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? What am I doing? This is crazy. I haven't done music for a decade and this is just nuts. Yeah, I was equated to one of these boxers where 
they get hurt in their prime and the doctor's like, you can't box anymore. So they just stop and then get all rusty and everything. And then a decade later, they're exercising. They're like, that injury doesn't feel quite as bad like it used to. When they get back and they start sparring a little bit and they're like, it doesn't really hurt anymore. I don't know. So that's what I feel like in, in a sense, been out of the game for so long, but I'm like driven. So I'm like, man, I got to just do whatever I got to do to get back up to par. So really the last year I've been just hardcore, just trying to rebuild my voice back to where it was, relearn all my old songs and everything, and just pick up where I left off, so to speak. But yeah, that's really how I got started in the space. And like I said, first as a collector and then as a musician, and I'm still a collector. I still buy a ton of people's stuff because I like to support. That is really cool. And that is the thing that I think that a lot of people go wrong with. They just come into the space, say, oh, wow, there's an opportunity to make some money. And they just start making things and then they make a mess. And especially when things don't go well, then they have all these things out there and then they end up leaving. But I really like the fact that you stuck around got ingrained with the culture and that clearly shows within your music with the Shirley Lowe track that that shows that you understood what was going on in the space because that is one of the most web three songs I've ever heard in my life and so I really appreciate that version of the entry and when you're saying about the education was that the token tracks section or is that something completely separate so separately, I ended up going to NFT London, which I didn't actually go to the event, but uh, Josh Savage, another musician friend in the space, he was putting on a little show at a club in London. And it was literally like last minute that I even was like 100% confirmed to even make the trip out there. I just was going to come to hang out and get some like video footage and different things. And that was really just the plan. But when I got out there, I met up with everybody, uh, yeah, a little reunion, because I'd been to a couple of music NFT events prior to that. It was a bit of a small reunion, so to speak. And then also meeting people IRL that you've never met, but you've only spoken to on spaces, which is always really cool. So while I was there, you know, I went to Josh's show and there was a whole bunch of musicians playing there. And Josh approached me, he's like, hey, I know you weren't on the bill. We weren't sure you were going to come. We're here. Yeah, he's, I only have the club until a certain time, but I think there's enough time if you want to just jump up and play a song real quick. So I was like, oh, wow, I definitely wasn't expecting that, but okay, sure. So I went up and I played one of the songs that I had released on my Genesis collection that a lot of people have said they like. It was wild because I think I was like a week off from hitting 11-year mark from taking a stage, right? So obviously I'm like nervous. I just tuned it out the best I could and just got up there and played my song. And it was wild because I had a whole crowd of people singing back to me my own song. It was just mind blowing. And I'm sitting there going, keep together, keep together, keep together. You know what I mean? Because having that is one of the most amazing feelings you'll ever have in your life. Having something you produce and put out there to the world, you sharing your most intimate self and people not only are there to support you, but they're singing it back to you, your lyrics, like that's just the biggest compliment a musician could ever get. And so it really was just like this wow moment. I got to keep doing this. Like it really inspired me to keep this thing going. 
Oh, I can imagine because even as a podcaster, just to have somebody say, you know, your show is really great. I appreciate what you said about whatever topic it might be. That always blows my mind and it just encourages me to keep creating content and going. So to be a musician on stage, to have people singing back your lyrics, that really does have to be mind blowing and validating, especially if you have the opportunity to speak to somebody that you actually look up to in the space. And of course, that is sort of what also happened to you within the space. So I'd love for you to explore that a little bit more. While I was at that show, when I played that show in London, it's funny because Tommy D, the producer, was there and he watched the show. He heard me perform and all that. And it's just hilarious because I don't know what happened. It wasn't a huge club or anything. But for whatever reason, we just didn't meet at the venue. But we ended up hooking up through Zoom and all that. And we started having conversations and he said, oh man, I loved your performance and everything. I was like, oh, that's really cool. And I knew a little bit about Tommy just from popping into a couple of his spaces, but I didn't really know the full scope of who Tommy D is, right? So when I looked him up, I was like, oh my gosh, this guy has worked with like everybody imaginable, basically. And so I'm like, why is this guy talking to me? It was really cool. So we just got to talking more and more and realized that we're very much on a similar vibe as far as what we're trying to do in this space. And so he eventually was like, hey, we'd love to bring you on our team in some capacity. And because I was already advising a lot of other artists in the space on drop mechanics and things like this, he's maybe we could bring you in as an advisory role to help liaison artists either new artists who've never dropped before, or even people that have dropped, but maybe need some feedback or whatever, especially like web two people that actually need a lot more handholding to enter the space and like really how to focus and build their brand out in web three. He's, I'd love to bring you on in that role and that capacity. And I was like, yeah, heck yeah, man, because I'd had some experience with other platforms and stuff. And it wasn't a lot of times it just wasn't great. And just the fact that he is who he is and he's building what he's building and he's doing it for all the right reasons, like that's for me, all I need to know. And then it's like, yeah, absolutely. Sign me up. Yeah. So I, he brought me into Token Tracks as an advisor. And then I decided, hey, I'm going to do my next drop on Token Tracks because I want to support the platform as much as I can and bring more people in. So it's a song and it comes with art, right? Which my wife actually drew which is really cool, but it's also acts like a VIP pass to what I'm dubbing like a web three university, right? Because I have this kind of background in crypto and finances and all this other stuff, like I've been through many cycles now in crypto and I've seen how it can affect people in a negative way, sometimes in a positive way, but usually in a negative way, simply because people just don't know how to take profits. They don't understand cycles and they don't understand the emotional aspect of the markets. So I've experienced all this myself and I know what people go through because I've lived it, but I've also learned from it, right? So I'm like, let me do something nobody's done before in this space, at least in the musician's realm, right? So my project is not only going to be about the music and about the art, but it's also going to be about markets and blockchain technology and tokenomics and cryptocurrency and psychology and cycles and all these other aspects. Let me teach people what I've learned over the last decade, right? There's a whole tier structure to my project. 
So just one holding one NFT alone will get you access to what I'm calling the crypto therapy group, which is basically going to be access to these Zoom calls. I'm going to be doing lectures probably once a month, and then we'll have other Q&A sessions and other tech support type sessions, whatever, throughout the other days in the months. Teach people really how to properly interface with this space and teach people about security, right? So they don't get hacked or they have a best practices checklist or here's what not to do, right? And here's why you don't want to do it like this. You, you want to make better decisions as far as investments. Here's some strategies on how to do that, right? It's not financial advice. I want to teach you how to critically think and how to critically analyze things so that you can make better decisions for yourself. Because once again, you have artists out here that only most of the time want to focus on the art, right? Starving artists. What if I could teach you how to make decisions in this marketplace, right? Utilize the tools that are here to set aside a little nest egg for yourself as an artist to where you don't have to worry as much. You don't have to work as hard. You can keep doing what you love, which is music or art or whatever. Now you have this little nest egg. And eventually you don't have to just give up your dreams because now you got to go work full time at a nine to five or whatever. That's my goal with this whole thing. It's a longer term project and strategy. And I priced it at a point where, yeah, it's a little bit more expensive because even a trading class alone will cost you 500,000 bucks, a credible one. And I'm going to teach you like a lot of these things as part of it. And for the equivalent of a little over 200 bucks, like it's a steal as far as that goes. But once again, my focus is building a community and helping people set themselves up to me making better decisions so that they can become more financially stable to some degree. So that's my goal with it. Yeah, that's very interesting because that's one of the things that I say too, when you're purchasing things, there's different types of utility. And as you said, sometimes some of these courses, 500, $1,000. And the baseline that I always use for information is what we pay for college, right? Per credit. And we don't get anywhere near as much information. So I think that's fair price point, if you ask me. I'm definitely like giving a very low entry point for people who are interested in this, right? This particular type of utility. And like I said, it might not be for everybody, but I don't just cover trading. I cover all kinds of different things, things that have taken me many years to learn trial and error that you can't replace experience in that sense. But like I said, I want to do this for people so that I can build a community of people that want to learn this kind of stuff and use it in their lives. So that's really why I'm doing it. It's really awesome. And to my understanding from what I was checking out from the space that you had, there's also lots of utility that ties back into the music side of things. So would you explain that? The first tier gets you into the kind of web three universities, I'm calling it where I'll do lectures and ask, we'll do Q&A and all kinds of things. The second tier gets you that, plus private Zoom calls with me. Let's say you want to drop a project and you want somebody to review it for you or break it down, just challenge you on it, really. That's a great opportunity for people to have some direct time with me. If you want to go a little bit bigger and do the third tier, you get three NFTs. It gives you everything from previous, but you also get more time with me and more in-depth for whatever your project is you're building or whatever. And, and then also you get the cover art. I'll do prints for the cover art and I'll ship it to your house free of charge. 
And then if you want to go crazy, if you want to go real big, I have two tiers for that. So kind of like the first person to attain, you know, tier four and it's provable on the blockchain. Boom. You get that tier four and the same with tier five and tier four is everything before that, right? All the other tiers before that. Plus you get a custom song written by me to you. It's probably going to be like an acoustic song. It'll be a one of one airdrop to you. That's claimable once every calendar year. And then you have tier five, which is all everything before that, including a custom song, but also an in-person concert, private show. So you got a birthday party or you got friends coming in from all over the place or whatever, and you want some music entertainment, I'll fly to you, I'll play the show and that's it. And that's also claimable once per year as well. So definitely, I think a lot of value for what it is. And I tried to make it to where there's something for everybody. Some people might not be able to either afford that higher utility, or maybe they're just not interested in it, but they like the educational aspect. Like I said, there's just something for everybody. So there is multiple ways to get involved. It is appealing, not just to the person who wants to sell music and make a killing in Web3, but just holistic training, just learning about the whole thing, your experience over the 10 years. So I think that's great. There's a saying that we say in marketing that either you're going to pay with money or you're going to pay with time. And someone who has been in the space has been doing this for as long as you have just to get involved with you and not make those mistakes that you have. I think that is a very valuable. So the utility, the tiers, very unique. I don't think I've ever heard anyone that's offering to come fly to you or even make a custom song. That's just really interesting to me. I appreciate that. That is very unique. And for anyone that wants to get involved with this or check this out, where would you recommend they go? Yeah, definitely. So just check out tokentracks.com and then you can search my name, Kirk DeSoto. I only have the one drop on there right now. There will be more in the future. I will be doing some open editions of different things on the platform too. So even holding just one gets you access to free claims from certain drops I do on the platform too. In this market, I get it. A lot of people are low on liquidity, but I'm not just throwing out music. It's also music, but it's also education and it's also helping you make hopefully better financial decisions within this space. And then you'll actually have more money to throw around to support other artists. That's what I've done and what I want to focus on. And I will say this towards the end about the song, which I think I forgot to mention earlier, but yeah, Tommy D actually produced the song. I was going to do a drop on the platform and he was like excited about that. So I'm like, Hey, I'll send you the track. Just give me any feedback you want, but this is the song I'll be dropping. And I had an original mix that I did with a local engineer here. He heard it and he was like, wow, this is great. He's like, but you know, I hear a couple of things that I feel like I could add or whatever could be added. So I sent him over the stems and he really just did a lot of interesting, cool stuff with it and really made it something even more spectacular. And like I said, he doesn't like to brag either. He's worked with like most of the top artists out there, Jay-Z, Beyonce, Adele, Michael Jackson, Janet Jackson, on and on, right? And just to have somebody like that tell you, hey, I love your song. Let me add something to it. It's just, it's phenomenal. So yeah, you'll be getting a track that was produced by a Grammy award-winning producer who has had 30 years in the music industry and worked with everybody imaginable. That alone, I think, has some good value as well. 
So I do find that interesting. And it's just very cool that someone is able to connect with you, get all of that knowledge, not only from the crypto space, but from the music space. And again, just a really cool project. Really great speaking with you. And it was really a pleasure. Definitely. I appreciate you having me on. This is fun. And keep doing what you're doing because we need more of this. We need more people out there highlighting artists and telling the story because there's so many other people trapped in this same kind of loop of, I got to please a label. I got to please an algorithm. It's no, there's another way to do this, right? Maybe you're not going to have a million fans, but you might have, you know, you might over time build up a hundred true fans. And that in many ways is more valuable than 10 million streams on Spotify or whatever. So definitely appreciate what you're doing. And thanks again for having me on. So hopefully you appreciated that conversation. It went a little bit longer than I had planned to go. However, as I said, with the power going out, that transformer blowing up the road, we ended up coming back and recording this. And that's why the conversation steered a little bit. However, it was just all information that I wanted to share still anyways. But Token Tracks is spelled T-O-K-E-N-T-R-A-X-X dot com. And that was sort of cut off with the background noise and what have you, but it's tokentracks.com. That is where this is. And of course, in the show notes, I'm going to have Kirk's Twitter, also the link directly to that drop on Token Tracks. You can check that out. But I would love to hear your thoughts on this episode. Of course, going into the business side of music and how it ties into Web3 and everything, I thought it was just very informational and valuable. And just to show you that there's different ways to present this stuff, providing utility using this technology. This is an interesting business model. So I'm excited to see where this goes and I hope you found it valuable. But as usual, I just wanna thank you for taking time to listen to this as we're learning and building Web3 together. So until next time, later. The Nifty Business Show is not investment advice. It provides insights and information within the space. As with anything, please do your own research before making a decision whether you're making an investment or a purchase.